This is Luther's second sermon for Christmas for the Luther Sermon Podcast. And this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller reading from Luther's House Postal, published in Columbus, Ohio, 1884, and in the public domain. The text is Luke 2, verses 1 to 14, the Nativity of St. Luke. Uh, Luther doesn't read the text because it's this is really a continuation of the previous sermon titled, What the Angels Announce and Proclaim to the Shepherds About This History. Luther preaches. We have now heard the history of this day, how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born into this world, and what we are to learn from it. The evangelist tells us that when this happened at Bethlehem, an angel from heaven appeared to several shepherds who were there with their flocks in a field nearby, accompanied by a great and glorious light, and spake to the shepherds about this birth in the following words, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This is the first sermon about this newborn child, our Lord Jesus, brought by the angels from heaven to us on earth. Therefore, it is well worthy that we should diligently study it and be careful not to think that we know all about it already. For though we should preach it every year and every day, we will never here on earth learn all about it. But this sermon of the angels was very necessary, for though Christ should have been born twenty times, it would have been in vain if we knew nothing about it. For what does it profit a man if he has a treasure in his house or cellar and knows nothing of it? It can give him neither pleasure nor joy. As the proverb says, Ignati nulla cupido, a hidden treasure is a useless treasure, which we may walk over as over the filth in the street, regardless of it. If God had not, through the dear angels and otherwise, preached to the people and revealed this treasure, no one would have desired, much less enjoyed it, no one would have rejoiced in it. The reason is that what one does not know does not affect him. It gives him neither joy nor sorrow, but is as though he had never been or should never come to pass. Therefore, this is one of the chief parts of the gospel lesson for today, that the angel, by his sermon, reveals this birth and shows us this treasure in order that we may not pass by where this treasure is lying without knowing anything about it, and thus, of course, derive neither consolation nor joy from it. Therefore, the angel begins his sermon about this matter, that we might be aroused to look upon this, our great treasure, and say, I bring you good tidings of great joy. These words are well placed. The shepherds are frightened by this unusual apparition of the great light and glory, heaven and earth being in a moment full of light and fire in the darkness of the night. The angel sees this and therefore addresses them joyfully and says, Fear not, as though he should say, You have no reason to be afraid. Your fear is a sure sign that you know nothing yet of that noble, precious treasure which God has given you. Else you would not fear, nay, you would rather rejoice and be glad in your hearts, for I come for the purpose of bringing you good tidings." A great work and miracle, which, when you properly understand it, will cause you to rejoice and be glad beyond measure. Thus the angel is chiefly concerned so to preach that it would take hold of the heart and not be in vain, but would accomplish it, its purpose. Therefore he does not say, I announce to you a great, strange, wonderful work or history which they do not know whether to receive or be glad of or not, for they, as poor common people, would not think when anything special or great happens or is told that it concerns them or that God would do anything great for them. But he says, I announce and bring to you good tidings of joy only, and that not common, but great joy. And this joy not of great riches, power, liberty, and a quiet or easy life on earth, but of a new birth. This must not be one of those common old births as all emperors and kings were born, where the birth of 
neither brought consolation and health to the other in his necessity, because we are born into sin and death. But I speak of such a new, consoling, joyful birth that to you is born a Savior. This birth alone should and can cause you real and great joy, because through though sin the devil has cast us men down very low and brought us into great distress and misery, so that we are not only sinners by nature and subject to eternal death, but must also daily in this world expect all manner of misfortune from him, so that hardly anyone is secure against him for one moment, either in his life or property. He, the devil, even rules in the world by nothing but murder, persecution of the pious, lies, deceit, robbery, stealing, etc., Besides such distress, there is also this, of which the gospel often speaks, that he enters bodily into people and makes them foolish and mad, to say nothing of the spiritual injury that he does by false doctrine, by filling people's minds with error and nonsense, contempt for God's word, making them rave loudly against the truth, and filling them with pride, avarice, lasciviousness, hatred, envy, etc., so that we may truly say that such a man is nothing but a foul secret retreat of the devil. So shamefully has he reduced us by sin, that here on earth we cannot have a bit of bread and safety on account of him, and must suffer his torments in body and soul, and in addition, bear God's wrath and eternal death. Is not this a terrible, miserable, horrible kingdom of the devil? Yet, if we rightly think of it, and compare the two together, this distress which we have from the devil is by no means to be compared with the glory and the precious treasure and joy of which the angel here preaches and says, Fear not! For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. To you is born a Savior. With such a proclamation, the angel would turn our eyes and hearts away from such devil's misery and direct them to this child, as though the work of a precious and salutary preacher would be accomplished if he could bring us to contemplate the Savior rightly and learn to acknowledge him as our flesh and blood. And it is certainly true. If we could rightly engrave this lovely, joyful image in man's heart, the comfort and joy from this our Savior would infinitely outweigh all the sorrow and injury which we have from the devil, though it be great and eternal injury. If we would gain the victory over the devil with all his venom and wrath, hell and death, and be secured against him, it must be done only by this sweet contemplation and comfort of which the angel here preaches and says, To you is born a Savior. If this truth is properly written in our hearts, the cause is already won. For with these words the angel would put such thoughts into our hearts, the devil has brought to shame and possessed me and all men and has brought us under God's wrath to an eternal damnation. This, alas, is true, but the injury is not so great that the tre treasure which God gives me is not inexpressibly greater, namely that God my Lord not merely possesses the human race or dwells therein as the devil is wont to possess men, but he himself becomes true man, so that the divine and human nature in Christ becomes one person. So near the devil cannot come to man. For although he may possess a man, yet the man remains man and the devil remains the devil. They are two distinct persons and natures. On the other hand, the Son of God has taken upon himself human nature so that I can truly say, this man is God and God is man in one undivided person. Therefore, our gracious God in heaven, from inexpressible love and mercy to the human family, has come much nearer to our wretched human nature, so despised and so greatly marred by the devil, and has entered much deeper into our flesh than the devil can. He may take possession of a man and torture a man, but he cannot become a personal man. The natures always remain separate, 
but through the joyful birth of this child, God has united himself in one person with our human nature, and the Son of God is truly our flesh and blood, born of the Virgin Mary in a natural manner, just as you and I were, excepting that he was conceived of the Holy Ghost without male seed, and did not inherit the venom of the devil, but received an altogether pure and innocent flesh and blood. With this one exception, our flesh and blood being impure and sinful, he is a man like you and me, who had to eat, drink, sleep, and awake as other people must do by nature. As St. Paul says, Philippians 2.7, he was made in the likeness of men, so that whoever heard or saw him had to say, This is verily a real natural man and no spirit, for he has in himself all the characteristics of this natural life. Behold, this is a beautiful heavenly sermon of the angel in which he promises us only joy and consolation from this birth and would make of it something high and great and present to our imagination the great honor that is shown us in this birth and immediately make us proud of it in faith and heartfelt consolation, though at the same time very humble. When we are conscious of our wrong and misery and contemplate the infinite great love of God toward us unworthy creatures who were the devil's own, For he would hereby say as much as this, O dear men, now rejoice and be glad. You have an exceedingly high and precious treasure, and honor and glory immeasurably great have been shown to you after all the shame and disgrace which the devil had heaped upon you. For now you have lived to see a man who is of your flesh and blood, and yet true God, the Lord of majesty, above all angels and creatures. Instead of the misery and wretchedness with which the devil afflicted you, you shall now have pure delight and pleasure, and through, this, and through this divine work be sufficiently avenged of evil spirits and be much more highly honored than he could before disgrace and ruin you. Nay, you are much more highly exalted than we angels are. With this you ought to have right to console yourself and see to it that you heartily lay hold of this and rejoice in it. Nay, you cannot rejoice so heartily and greatly, but that this treasure and cause of your joy should still be much higher and greater compared with everything on earth which you men call great must be nothing, so that this must be called a great joy, and I do not know what else to call it, for it shall be an infinite, eternal, immeasurable joy which will outweigh all height, greatness, and all temporal and transient things and cannot be designated otherwise than by the word great." Now we also ought to learn and believe this preaching, for here we hear an excellent preacher who rightly understands this great and glorious work of God and knows very well how to speak of it, for he knows right well what great harm the devil has done, but he also sees and herewith confesses how we poor men by the birth of this Christ are honored far above all the angelic nature. According to his created nature, the devil is also of the same angelic essence. But by pride he has fallen from his first glory into enmity with God and did not, as the Apostle Jude says in his epistle, keep his first estate and afterwards brought the human race to destruction also so that he neither will nor can be converted to God or reconciled with men. The other holy angels who continue in their purity and obedience do not need this benefit for themselves. And although they have not this honor of the Son of God in their nature, they do not envy us the same. Nay, it is their highest joy that we have attained to it and are no more the devil's own but children of God and co-heirs of the only begotten Son of God, so that they can now be our fellows and we theirs. They are not ashamed to preach this to the poor shepherds and to the whole world, but regard it also as their happiness and do it with heartfelt joy and pleasure, so that not only one proclaims this, but after the proclamation, the whole host of them sing about it with a joyful noise and desire that heaven and earth should be full of this joy.
Now, if we would rightly consider and take this to heart, we men ought to love and esteem each other heartily, even if we had no other gain for it. For I do not yet speak of the use and benefit of which the angel speaks in the following words, to you as born a Savior, but only the honor. Yes, if we would rightly take this to heart, we could never be the enemy of any man. For who would hate or harm that image that has a body and soul like my God and thine? Should we not, for the sake of this honor that God has shown us, love all men and do good to them? The angels are created much more glorious creatures than we are, but God did not regard this and become an angel. In addition to this, the angels are also innocent and pure, holy spirits, who have not fallen like the other angels and us poor men. Thus it might seem that it would have been much more fit if God had become an angel. But no! He interferes in behalf of the insignificant, poor creatures, full of sin, in the kingdom of the devil, which the devil plagues and torments most shamefully. Should this not soften our hearts a little, that we should heartily love one another, and not despise and envy each other, but each show the other all manner of love and friendship for the sake of this high honor and glory which we are exalted in our Savior, the Son of God? Several of the fathers, and especially Bernard, have such thoughts as these, that the devil, when he saw in heaven that the Son of God would become a man, began to envy men and hate God, because he was not about to become an angel, but a man, and therefore out of pride and envy fell from heaven. This may indeed be a good thought, and we may infer from this work of God that the devil's fall was a sin against the Son of God. But the dear fathers wanted in this way to present the great honor and inexpressible benefit of God displayed toward us in that God became man, took upon him the poor flesh and blood that we poor men have, and have been poisoned and taken possession of by the devil through sin, and are on account of sin subject to death. How unhappy must those people be who knew nothing of this honor! But how much more unhappy those who hear from the angels, apostles, and other preachers that God has thus graciously visited our humanity, taken it upon himself, and exalted it above all creatures, but do not regard it or receive any pleasure from it. Yes, truly unhappy and unblessed must such people be who do not feel this and derive no comfort nor joy from it. But what shall we say of those who even slander, condemn, and persecute this blessed doctrine? If among many brethren one becomes a great lord, how do the other brothers rejoice? How great the pleasure they have in this, as we see in the case of Joseph's brethren in the book of Genesis, where he makes himself known to them. But how does it come that we do not also rejoice in this inexpressible honor and glory, that it does not move our hearts to praise and thank God that his Son has become flesh and blood and now sits at the right hand of God, the Lord over all creatures? Whoever could rightly conceive of this in his heart should, for the sake of the flesh and blood that is above at the right hand of God, love all flesh and blood here upon earth and never be capable of being angry with anyone anymore. One view of the tender humanity of Christ our God should reasonably so fill our hearts with joy that no angry or unfriendly thoughts could ever afterward find place within them. Yes, we might almost expect everyone to carry the other on his hands for joy on account of this our flesh and blood. Whoever has rightly thought of it in his heart that the Son of God has become man should also be able to expect all good from the Lord Jesus and nothing ill, for I know very well that I am not angry with myself and I do not wish to do myself any evil. But Christ is the same as I am, also a true man. How then can he intend to do any evil to himself, that is, to us who are his flesh and blood? 
and to some of the matter, this fact that the Son of God became man, if we had the proper image of it in our heart, would make only joyful hearts and consciences, and in a moment all the terrible examples of God's wrath, like the flood, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and others, would melt away and disappear. All these must vanish in one moment, if we would, with believing hearts, think of this one man who is God, and has so honored poor human nature. For in this image I can see nothing else that has induced him to take upon him human nature that only great inexpressible love toward us who before had lain under the wrath of God condemned to eternal death. But, as already said, are those not altogether unhappy people who hear but do not regard this, letting this treasure lie and engaging in questions as how they should fill their chests with gold, build grand houses, and appear in a great pomp and despise envy and hate their neighbor? It is the miserable devil who does this, to whom those people who do not regard God's word give place in their hearts, who blinds them so that they cannot see this joy of which the angel here preaches. Now this is one point that should move us to great joy and a blessed pride, that we are honored thus above all creatures, even above the angels, so that we can of a truth boast, my own flesh and blood sits at the right hand of God and rules over all. No creature nor angel has such honor. This should indeed be an oven to melt us all into one heart and to awaken such fervor among us that we would all love one another heartily. But as we have said, here the devil has his work, so that we hear this truth in the church, but afterward do not think further on it and soon forget it. He deprives us of this joy by suggesting other thoughts and cares in order that we may not embrace this image in our hearts as we should. Now, if we had no more than this honor, we ought to leap and dance with joy. But over and above this natural joy is this honor and glory that there is yet of which the angel further says that this child Jesus would also be our Savior. This is the chief part and brings to notice the true reason why we should be joyful. Here again, there are unhappy and unblessed persons who hear and know it yet do not regard it, for these words should melt heaven and earth and change for us death into sugar and all misfortunes of which there are here more than can be told into pure sweet wine. For what man is there who can properly conceive of this, that the Son of God is born man, a Savior for us? Such treasure the angel gives not only to his mother, the Virgin Mary, but to all of us men, unto you, he says, is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. For the angel speaks to the shepherds, these were Jews, and well knew that the word Christ in their language meant King and Lord, but herein the greater part of the Jews erred in that they thought he would be a Lord and Savior in a temporal sense. This was not meant. The angel refers unto something higher when he says, Unto you is born a Savior, as though he would say, Hitherto you have been prisoners of the devil. He has tormented you with water, fire, pestilence, the sword, and who can tell all the misfortunes? But the greatest of all was this eternal distress, sin, and death. Here you poor men are lying under his tyranny, he leads the soul astray with lies which are infinitely more hurtful to it than any pestilence can be to the body, nor has the poor, weak, needy body any rest from him. And when he has tormented soul and body here on earth, eternal death comes in afterward. Now unto you, says the angel, who lie as captives in the power of this destructive, wicked, venomous spirit, who is the prince and god of this world without salvation or help for either your bodies or souls, this Savior is born. Yes, the words unto you should make us joyful. For to whom or of whom does he speak? Of course, not to wood or stones, no, but to men, and not to one or two alone, but as he says, to all people, that is, all who are men. For he says, unto you, 
Not unto us angels, but unto you he is born. That is, he has become a man like unto you. Now whoever is born a man may and should comfort himself with his Savior who is born. But what shall we make of this? Shall we still doubt God's grace and say St. Peter or St. Paul may indeed rejoice in the Savior, but I'm a poor sinner, I dare not do it. This noble, precious treasure is not intended for me. My dear friend, if you will say it is not for me, to whom then does it belong? Did he come for the sake of geese, ducks, or cows? For you must notice what he is. Had he wished to help another creature, he would have become that creature. Had he not become a man for the sake of us poor, sinful, lost men, he would not be called our Savior. Now see, what are you? What am I? Are we not all men? Yes. Who then is to receive this child? But just we men. The angels do not need him. The devils do not want him. But we need him, and for our sake he became man. Therefore it becomes us men to receive him with joy, as the angel here says, Unto you is born a Savior, and shortly before I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. But is it not a great and glorious thing that an angel from heaven brings this message to men? And after, afterwards so many thousands of angels rejoice about it, wish and announce that we men also should be joyful and receive such grace with thanks as we shall hear. Therefore it is a very precious word which we hear, Unto you is born the Savior. This birth, he would say, is not for us angels. I have no share in it, except that I am glad with you and for you, who are poor, depraved, and lost men. This child, the Son of God, is your Savior. You are to be helped from sin and death. Now it is in itself a great and glorious thing that God has become a man, but this is far more, that he is to be our spiritual and eternal Savior. Whoever would rightly believe this could tell what true joy is. Yes, if his heart were full of this faith, he could for great joy not live long, for his heart could not bear the joy, but must break, as we see that the heart of man cannot endure great sorrow, but must die of great terror and anxiety. But as was said in the beginning, here on earth we will not be able to fully comprehend or learn this sermon, for this life is too narrow, and our hearts are too weak. Otherwise, if it were possible that a heart should take it in fully, it would never have any more sorrowful thoughts. And if we rightly believed these tidings, this fruit at least should follow, that we would be kind to each other and leave off lying and deceiving and other vices. But here we see how feeble we are. This joy cannot find a proper entrance into our hearts. We soon forget the preaching both of the angel and of the Savior, and the majority of men still run after avarice and other like things, which is a sure indication that we do not regard such preaching or that our faith is too weak. For we would be joyful and free from care if we believed that we have such a Savior. How would one rejoice in danger and agony of death if he knew a certain remedy against the pestilence? But in this Savior from sin and eternal death no one rejoices, or at best but few. The greater part seek other pleasures, that they may have peace, rest, luxury, etc. here, and yet they are not sure of this life for one moment. This is a sign that we hear this joyful proclamation like those who are in a sleep, remain wicked people who have the treasure before their eyes but do not regard it. Now, whoever hears this without experiencing any consolation or joy may well regard himself as an unhappy man. For in what shall a heart rejoice, if not in that of which the angel here speaks, and which he himself calls a great joy, so that it must indeed be a joy above all joys, this day is born to you a Savior? 
Whoever will not permit himself to be bettered or made more pious by this announcement, whoever cannot relish this wine, nor feel the warmth of this fire in his heart, him let the hangman make more pious, for there is no other way to help him. Therefore be alarmed on your own account, if you are thus cold and hardened, and earnestly call upon God for grace, that through his Holy Spirit he would change and warm your heart. Then place before you the sermon of the angel, think and meditate upon the inexpressible benefit which God confers upon and announces to you through this birth, in order that thereby your heart may be awakened both to repentance and the fear of God, and to faith which comforts itself in this Savior. For God is willing to work in us and give us his Holy Spirit through such preaching and contemplation of his word. When the angel further says that this Savior is born in the city of David and calls him the Lord, With these words he would direct us to the scriptures. For thus it had been foretold by the prophet Micah that he should be born in Bethlehem. But especially does the angel call the child Jesus, the Lord. We are not to understand this as though he should be a worldly king who should show himself to be a tyrant ruling with the rod of physical power. No, but as God says to Adam, the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. So he is to appear before us the devil's enemies. But our Lord and Savior, who will claim you and me as his own, demand of us the devil. Say to him, Give me this man whom you hold bound. He is not yours, but mine and my creature, whom I not only created, but also purchased with my body and blood. Therefore let him go, give him to me again, for he does not belong to you. So that Christ is a Lord rich in consolation with power breaking in upon the government of the devil and claiming his own, appearing before his very eyes and saying, Thou accursed spirit had led them into all sin and death, deceives and beliest them, and yet they are not thine. I am the Lord, who am entitled not only by nature, but also by right to govern men, not you, for they are my purchased property. Yes, say you, but the Son of God has not redeemed the angels. How then are we to explain it thus when they call when they call him Lord? Answer, for us the word has no other sense and is rightly and properly explained thus. But the fact that the angel speaks thus in a general way and gives Je- the child Jesus such a high title is a sure indication that this child, born bodily of the Virgin Mary, is natural, true, eternal God. Else, of course, the angel would not call him Lord. He is our Savior, not the Savior, the angel's. As the angel here plainly says, Unto you is born a Savior. But he is not only our Lord, he is also the angel's Lord. Now they are of the household of this Lord with us, and we with them, and count themselves as being under this Lord just like us, so that we men who were formerly the devil's servants attained to such honor through this child that we are received into citizenship of the dear angels. These are now our dear friends so that for the sake of this child we can trust that we have one Lord with the dear angels and they with us, and that we are with them of the same household. They, the dear angels, might be proud that they are so much nobler than we men in the first place as to their nature and being, and then also in that they are without sin, but we see in them no pride. They do not despise us men on account of our misery. Nay, they regard us as being greatly ennobled and honored through this their Lord and Savior, and their Lord and our Savior, the Son of God. They are heartily sorry for our death, sin, and distress. Therefore also they so heartily rejoice in this help which comes to us in this child, are willing that we should have this blessedness as well as themselves, that on this day we have received this child for our own who is their Lord, and confers upon us the high honor 
that we are to be their companions. They do not say, I do not like this sinner, this stinking corpse, these condemned, unclean whoremongers and profligates. No, they do not say thus, but they rejoice heartily that they now have such sinners for friends and associates and praise God for this, that we, being delivered from sin, come with them into one house and under one Lord. They thank and praise God for such grace, which, however, they did not need for themselves, except that hereby their joy is made greater, that God has the more praise and honor as they afterwards sing. How much more is it not meet that we also should thank and praise God therefore, and love and help one another, even as the Son of God did us, who became our flesh and nearest friend? But whoever will not regard this, and will not thus love and serve his neighbor for him, as said above, there is no help. This is the first sermon about this child after his birth, which will be continued even unto the end of the world. Therefore you should diligently take heed to it, for here you see how the dear angels have become one with us, are our friends, come to us with this joyful message, and still continue to comfort us therewith, and say, Henceforth we ought no more fear, since this child is born unto us, and will be our Savior. This is the true highest and best consolation, which can surely and truly prove to us God's grace and mercy, that God the Almighty Eternal Father has com had compassion on us, and given us his Son in such a friendly manner through the tender virgin. He lays him in her bosom and lets the announcement be made to us that he is our Savior. What we want, we are to find in him. He is to be our help and comfort that henceforth all wrath between God and us is taken away and only love and kindness reigns. Now, ask yourself, does God do injustice when he suffers these to be lost forever who hear this and do not accept it? as the blind, hardened papists do, who are not satisfied with a Savior, but run after other Saviors on whom to depend? This sermon of this angel sounds differently, namely, that this child alone is to be our Savior, in whom alone, as our highest treasure, we are to have all our comfort and joy. Where he is, thither look all the angels, and God himself. But he gives this treasure not only to his mother, but to you and me too, and says, He shall be your own, you shall enjoy him, and everything that he has in heaven and earth shall be your own. Now whoever hears this and yet derives no pleasure from it, or lets this Savior go and seeks another, deserves to be driven to the earth by a thunderbolt. Therefore we should thank God for his grace, and pray him that he would write this sermon of the angel into our hearts, in order that we may find our consolation in this Savior, and through him conquer death and the devil. To this may our dear Lord and Savior Christ help us. Amen. This has been Dr. Martin Luther's second sermon for Christmas on Luke chapter 2, 1-14 from the House Postal, published in 1884. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church, reading Luther's sermon. To find out more information about the Lutheran Sermon Podcast, please visit the webpage of Hope Lutheran Church, Aurora, Colorado at www.hope-aurora.org. Merry Christmas.